Jeffrey, it has been 21 days since our last published episode. Too long, and we apologize. It, we talked about this, that it seems like it's three weeks, but then really it's only two weeks. Like we missed two episodes because we could not, we were having some issues with the, uh, with our schedules. You've had to go back into the office more. I, I don't even think publicly. No, nobody, nobody knows. This is an announcement to the world. Uh, at least of the, and I can say this because I, I don't know. I don't think anyone who listens to the show actually talks to my wife because my our wives don't listen to the show, and no. so. But uh, baby number three is coming to our household tail end of next month, and so I was I've actually been, thinking, thinking about this because you said something last night or whatever it was that we were talking about. Baby number three on the way, and it, you just mentioned it like I already knew, and I think I maybe did, but we haven't talked about it enough that I knew I knew. Because yeah. yeah, like you've kept this, uh, you've kept this one locked it, down in the vault. Is it which one of the Kardashians uh, or Jenners? Like it was just posted on Instagram, like surprise, I had a baby. Yeah, um, one of them did that. It's basically, you know, it's like that. So it's the you've had to be going into the actual office because we try to record and like uh, basically like do lunch hour recordings. You can't really do that from your office. Things like that. So and it's I've been at night. I've been scrambling to get ready to take my extended time off. You know, and and look, I don't want to be working on the weekends once no. football season starts. So I'm and, like and really look, trying to making, get this done by September 1st. We're making excuses. Like they're excuses. We should make it happen, but we didn't. And deal with it. Like that's really what this boils you down know, to. You know, it's because Garrett's had GFB Express up every, almost every day. Uh, up until the last week, <laughs> yeah. almost every day. I mean, yeah. So I've, it, had it's, the, I've had the daily dose up every day. So you're you've had the daily dose. I, I was doing GFV Express, and then after the realignment happened, it kind of it did go on the back burner because uh, some other consulting work came up. And as much as getting a YouTube channel monetized is great, uh, not there yet. Please go to like and subscribe because you got to get to like a thousand thousand subscribers so I can monetize like you are on the daily dose. Uh, actual billable hours pay a lot more than yeah. my little GFB express operation. So, yeah. and I don't think people, I mean, I know you do like a, you do like a six or seven minute video, Yeah, but it still takes like, it probably takes you close to an hour a day to put up the daily dose. It is probably 45 uh, yeah, minutes to 30, an hour, 30, 40 minutes, probably every day, yeah. depending and on I the day. I don't edit. I mean, people like, well, let's go behind the scenes of the daily dose. Uh, I don't edit anything. If I get it wrong, I just start over because I, I've, I mean, it's not like I don't know how I've tried, but I've found that it's faster for me because they're so short that like you're not even bother with editing, just start over. So everything you see is just like one take, right? Sometimes it takes me four or five takes to get there. Those days suck. Uh, especially if I get long winded on some and I get like nine minutes in and then I say something just like profoundly stupid that I can't just like quickly walk back. Then I start. Oh, yeah, then that's uh, that's a bummer. When that happens. I don't know if I believe that last part, only because if I don't think it would take you nine minutes of a soliloquy before you say something profoundly stupid. Well, that's a good point. That is a good point. Uh, what happens? I've talked about this, I think, on the show, or maybe just to, I don't know. When I am doing this, I know I've talked about it with anyway. Whatever doesn't matter who who knows. Uh, this is the way my brain works. And so I'm curious how yours works on GFB Express. I can almost see like a script in my head. I don't ever write anything down. Nothing's prepared. Like it's all in my head, but I can almost see it like writing like actual words written on a piece of paper in my head. And I read in my brain about two sentences ahead of where I'm talking. 
And so what happens is when I, uh, for whatever reason, when the writing is not there and I catch up and the words get to the end of the writing, I don't know what to say anymore. So my brain is always about two sentences ahead of where I'm actually speaking. And when I get to that point where those two things intersect and they meet and I'm not done, it's only stupid that comes out after that. I don't know if you saw, I, I posted the uh, blooper. I don't know what to call it. The take where I, I'd had my intro music earlier this week and it got done and it got part or it got to the point where it's like, hey, welcome back to the Daily Dote. Nothing. Like there were no words that came out of my mouth. Like I had stage fright. You went full Mitch McConnell. Yeah. It was <laughs> just like, I, I just froze. And after like five seconds of dead air, I was like, am I going to say anything? Like what, what is going on? It was very strange. Yeah. Anyway, so that's how it works for me. I don't know how it works for you. But. I mean, it's similar. I think there's a lot of, it was pretty easy because there was so much alignment, realignment news flowing. But I mean, like a normal episode, it's like, okay, I got to dig. Like I got to go on and find like, Hey, what happened? Like it's, there's a yeah. lot more like, prepping where you i think you just being on the discord in general with like the daily dose usually there's, there's something that will be like spark and then you're just kind of like shooting from the hip where it's like i got to do some actual like news gathering yeah get you it gotta up, get and then, yeah and so there it's like it's less you know opinion got to find some you know actually what's going on like is there an article i want to talk about so it's there is a little more prep work but yeah it takes probably like on the low end like 40 minutes to crank out a video which it does add up um does add up so, so and i think and there's also some weird like timing things too out like when you post put something live on youtube seems to like it matters like there's I, you gotta it, catch. i think it does what i've found recently uh i don't know that it does like i i think i hit i i have enough regulars that are coming back every day now that my baseline I don't know. There's like 1,500 people that I can count on that are watching every single day, no matter what. And so I can always get to a relatively okay baseline. I think if I want it to go viral, then yeah, you got to really pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I don't know who um, my real target audience is. While I'd love a million views and all the money, I'm really trying to serve BYU fans because, frankly, Garrett, we haven't been serving BYU fans with the podcast. We have been failing you all. Yeah, so here we are today. We're back. The season's here. We're going to get back to it. But uh, I think the days of this being a multi-episode you know, multi a week throughout the season, I think those days are gone. I don't think those days are happening anymore. Yeah, The because what would we do? I mean, during the season, we would do the, uh, we would do the, like, the fireside. And maybe, like, after a loss, we could do a fireside, you know, or something like we'll figure it out. Have to, but it, it's got to, I think the, with the fireside, it really, I mean, they were great fun to do, but it also came out. We had like the same four or five people who actually wanted to say their piece, right? Like, yeah, some I don't wanted know. To, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of the fireside. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but here's why, here's what I think. Um, Elon over there on X he uh, he's changed his monetization strategies, and as a result, I think you're going to see a lot more journalists jumping into spaces and stuff after yep. games. And uh, I don't know that we'll have the need for our little firesides anymore. I no. just don't think that will work. If, if anything, uh, you know, I know that the um, I know that we uh, you know we Mitch Harper is a good friend of the show, and he does his. He and Matt Bomont to do there. So you know, skip the fireside. We'll, we'll we will go and we'll just hop into Mitch's thing for five or ten minutes. And yeah, something like that. Spiel there. 
So we will we'll do a crossover. Uh, we have not discussed this with KSL, nor we have discussed this with uh, Mitch Harper or Matt Bahiamonte or their producer Nate Slack. But we are informing them that we will be collabing on their post game X spaces. Yeah. But yeah, the Twitter monetization is really interesting because people who have a good amount of followers, like they're getting like YouTube level monetization. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I'm getting pretty knocking on the door and, uh, yeah, I think that it, I mean, it's burrito money, but based on what I know of how the calculations are paid, like, yeah, it's not nothing. No, I've seen, uh, Austin Allred, who is a uh, BYU alum, the founder yeah. of Bloom Tech. He, he's been, he's monetized cause he's got like 300 something thousand followers around 300,000 followers but he he every time he gets a payment he shares and it's like the first time was like random like they didn't even announce that they were doing it it was just like hey you have enough and you've been bringing this so like give us your bank like your paypal information or your bank ach information and we're going to send you money and then the next time it was just like now they started like every two weeks like a paycheck kind of yeah yeah and i think it's a decent amount of money um, I mean, whatever. It's almost football season, though. It is almost tomorrow. It is. Uh, so who who you got? Which uh, we'll get this out. So this can be a little bit of a pregame show. If you're going to one of the Utah high school games tonight, yeah. What uh, which game? Which game are you watching the most? Well, I mean, so I'll be in the red zone. So check us out right. on the red zone, right? Because we'll be watching all of them. Uh, Lone Peak and Corner Canyon is what everybody's going to talk about. So corner. Let's talk about corner a little bit. Uh, mostly because I think anybody who watched that game or heard about that game, Isaac Wilson played great. Uh, corner played great for about three quarters, and then Gorman was ultimately too much, and I think they ended up winning by three touchdowns. Uh, and the reaction to that loss has been a little bit strange uh, because it's felt like Corner has won, even though they lost by three scores. Uh, but, I mean, they played well, right? I think they played better than anybody expected them to. So I guess, yeah, I mean, great for them. I do know that uh, Coach Care does not feel the same way that the general consensus is. Like, they lost in his mind, and he's pretty fired up about it. So so there's that. Anyway, corner looks to rebound, but in that game against Gorman, Jerome Miles, uh, he dislocated his ankle. I, I think he'll try and be back later this year, but it's not happening a week later. Zion Finau, a big offensive lineman. He also went down with an injury, and I think he's out for the year. He's he's college good. Uh, Ike Garcia, a lot of people didn't see it, but he got banged up in the second half, late in the fourth quarter. I don't know if he's going to play or not. So a lot of the guys that are the weapons around Isaac Wilson, uh, they're at least hurt, if not off the field altogether. Cash Dillon still hasn't played at all this year uh, because he's been hurt. So... A lot of injuries mounting up. Still, and still got take care though. They Who? do have take care, and that kid's for real. And and like anyway, so I bring all of this stuff up. Isaac Wilson, as good as he is, last year when it was take care at the time when take care went down, totally different quarterback, an absolutely different quarterback. And Lone Peak, Lone Peak plays corner really, really well because Ryan Denny our guy, BYU guy, Ryan Denny, defensive coordinator up at Lone Peak. I don't know what it is about the water in Alpine, but there's always just a bunch of like 6'2", 200-pound dudes who they're not quite college good, although Lone Peak has a, a handful of guys who are college good, but maybe they're not quite college good, but they're super athletic, 
And Danny just likes to bring like seven people on every play from every direction. I mean, it is blitz, blitz, blitz. It is, it is uh, Ed Yost level blitz and remember the Titans. I mean, it is just play after play after play. I, this game could be pretty interesting. So I think that's the game everybody's going to watch. Uh, if I am telling you guys, BYU fans, I like Harriman at Syracuse as a sneaky good game. I think that's going to be really uh, tightly contested. Ephraim Asiata plays for Harriman now. That's Matt Asiata's kid. Talked with some BYU folks about Ephraim just the other day, just to be like, hey, should I just cross him off my list? Because like he's obviously going to end up at Utah. And the folks that I talked to were like, you know what? We feel okay about where we're at. I don't know if like nobody's claiming that he's going to go to BYU, but uh, you're not think, out of it. Yeah. I don't think BYU's given up. So check that out. And then on the Syracuse side, there's a wide receiver who maybe is my favorite wide receiver in the state, but nobody's talking about him. D'Angelo Mays goes by DJ Mays. It's about six, two. He's pretty slender, dude. I think if he weighed 180 pounds, I'd be shocked, but six, two call it 170. So he's got some weight to gain. Uh, he was a 10-8 guy as a junior, high 10-8s. The dude's hands, man, he is silky smooth. And uh, I I know BYU has started barking up his tree a little bit of late. He was great last week for Syracuse. So he's a guy that I would, I would maybe keep my eye on over the next few weeks. If he plays well, I could see an offer being doled out uh, here soon. Has Syracuse had any... Oh, the Ty Burke kid. He's a preferred walk-on. He just got back from his mission, right? He went to Syracuse. And Syracuse, he ended up on scholarship. Yeah. Oh, he did. He did. Um, so Syracuse, I don't know if do they have any uh I mean they're a newer school. They're a newer school. So they opened their first year was 2008. Their first graduating class was 2009. Okay. Uh Hunter Dimmick that ended up at Utah. Mm-hmm. He's a Syracuse guy. Kavika Fanua, BYU guy. Oh, that's who I was thinking. Syracuse. I was like, isn't there someone else? Yeah. Did- and then uh, there was one of the vigil kids. I can't remember. Nick was the younger one. So Zach, I think he passed through Syracuse. He was kind of in the funky transition year. I don't know where he actually graduated. Um, Cause there was clear. Anyway, when they opened up, there was Clearfield. I think Zach was at Clearfield initially. And then he ended up at Syracuse for a second and then maybe back to Clearfield. Anyway, so there's there's been talent that's come out of that program for sure. Uh, they're they're good. And DJ Mays, man, like I'm telling you guys, watch him, check it out, and uh, he's a pretty darn good player. The I mean, speaking of receivers, I, I really do think if you watch Tate Care's tape, like he is as good of a wide receiver that you will find at the high school level. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah, it's except for the fact that he's like. 510 with his cleats on and weighs a buck 50 soaking wet. See, so, there's a lot of comparisons to Tate and Dax Milne when he was at Bingham, but I and I get it because they're very similar in terms of like how they're viewed at the college level for whatever reason, their route running. I mean, all that stuff makes sense. But Dax played at Bingham where they weren't throwing the ball around, so he didn't really have the production. Tate Care has an insane amount of production. And his older brother, Noah who I think gets home from a mission here in the coming months. Um, it isn't Cody Hagan. It isn't Simi Fajoko. It isn't Puka. The guy who has the most receiving yards in a single season in the state of Utah is Noah Kerr at nearly uh, north of 1,900, nearly 2,000 receiving yards. So he's good. He committed to Weber State. 
Yeah. But uh, when he committed to Weber State, there was a certain guy who was the head coach there. I can't remember his name, and I think he's somewhere else now, and maybe that's where Noah Kerr goes and plays. Mm-hmm. I would be uh, would be interesting. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind either. But, yeah, I mean, it's the biggest thing with Tate is, like, his route running. You're like – Unbelievable. It, it is. You're like, how are you only 17 years old? Because it's – have you seen – there's a TikTok that um, – there's a TikTok that was kind of making the rounds the last couple of weeks of from the Jaguars camp of like that showed Zay Flowers and Calvin Ridley running routes like one after the other. And yeah. I mean, it's Zay Flowers. I mean, he was one of the best receivers in the country last year at Boston College in the last couple of so years, and then got drafted in the first round. But then you see Ridley, and you're like, whoa, okay, that yeah. it's like you are your feet, your quickness, like your change of direction. It's on another plane and, and take care is that dude. Like you watch his film and how he gets out of his breaks on his routes. He is so good at route running, but he's just small. And that's like the game does not want people his size or they slow play. Really what happened if one school, if a major school, he's the kind of guy where it's like everyone is slow playing him because of his size. But as soon as somebody pulled the trigger, then you'll see a bunch fall right behind it, follow right behind because like, okay, well, we can't get him as a PW anymore, but that's what they're going to, they're going to try to slow play him because of his size, but the dude can ball, but he's never going to be the six, three, 215 pound big bodied receiver that every offense wants these days. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, uh, I think he's that guy. He reminds me a little bit of a Leva Hifo. I was just, just thinking the same name. I was going to ask you, I said, do you, th- but it's like him versus Leva Hifo. It's like, w- what's the difference? Yeah. Like I there's think not, I think it's pretty similar. Aleva Leva was bigger. I mean, there's like Tate small. He's, and the thing about Tate too, is when you stand next to him, uh, I mean, he's not just this scrawny little kid. Like the dude's jacked. Like his body doesn't look like it could put on a whole lot more weight. So I think that that's a factor there as well. Um, but yeah, I think that absolutely he is capable of playing at the next level because of a guy like Aleva. I remember Aleva Bronco, I think it was Bronco, who offered him, and it was like, I don't even know what he plays. He's just a football player. We'll get him on campus and figure it out. I think Tate, like even if you brought him in and all he did was return punts, I think he would do well. I mean, that's Britton Covey's making $600,000 a year doing that for the Eagles. Right. Yep. And that's, yeah. So the, the other thing too, with receivers is it really like does not matter. We had a discussion about this because out of camp last week, I mean, guess some news that happened is all right. The quarterback depth chart is set that it is, uh, you know, that's it's Keaton Slovis. And then Retzlaff is number two. Finnegan's number three, depending on if Slovis were to go down, it would depend on, you know, the game situation of who you bring in versus fitting in versus Retzlaff, because if it's like the fourth quarter and you're up by two scores, you're not going to bring in Retzlaff and use one of his four games. Like it's, you know, th- there's nothing to read into that. If, if Slovis is down for an extended period of time, Retzlaff is your dude. But the, you know, if you just need someone to hand the ball off and shoot the clock, you're not going to burn one of his four games. Um, I guess five, because now your bowl game doesn't count towards your four games. It's four regular season games. Um, So yeah, it's really weird because the way that I think you have to look at this, if Slovis goes down in September, I think Retzlaff is your guy because there's enough of the season left that that, that's what's going to happen. If Slovis goes down in November, Retzlaff is still your guy because then he could still play all of the remaining games and redshirt. So really, 
Cade Finnegan's window is an injury in October. Yeah. Which is kind of a weird way to like look at your depth chart, but that's kind of where we're at. And even then you maybe go like week by week of like, okay, well we can knock off Iowa state because half their team is being investigated by the by the federal trade commission and uh, for gambling. And then, you know, it, it's, you kind of have a weird situation of trying to juggle the redshirtness um, in status, but, and then the, but the big surprise was uh, the, uh, now I can't remember his, how, his full name. It wasn't tight end that the number two. I Tase. Yes. I was going to say, is it, I could, in my head, I was flipping it to Mata Asa Taave, but it is, yeah. that is backwards. But Tava, he is, you know, he is a guy that we saw transfer late, came in from SUU. So he's familiar with the offense because Blair Peterson is uh, is yeah. SUU's offensive coordinator who was previously. He's, he's now with uh, Ed. Oh, yeah. He's now in Greeley, Colorado with the Northern Colorado Bears. Um, but he, you know, running the same offense though that he learned from, you know, under Aaron Rod. I mean, obviously every OC is going to have their own wrinkles and their own play calling tendencies, whatever. But principally, similar offense to what he does. So you know, he had similar thing. He's an old guy. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's old. not a he. he yeah, he went he's to you know he went to Mountain View High School down here in Mesa. Not the Mountain View tight end that we expected to see at number two on the depth chart. We expected that to be Jackson Bowers, but he needs a little bit of time to be ready. He, do you know what I loved? I'm glad you brought Jackson Bowers up because Jackson Bowers, right? Four-star guy could have gone just about anywhere. You know, most of the SEC schools are anyway, all that. When it's a guy like Tava, that's a, a, a walk-on from SUU and he goes out onto the depth chart. Did you see what his mom said on, on Twitter? I don't know if you uh -huh. saw this. I did see it. So, so this is Bowers, mom, Cindy Bowers, wonderful follow on Twitter. She said that she could not be more pumped for Jackson to learn from like a guy like Tava and just like saying so many praises about what Tava brings to the table and why he's earned this spot. There was no like resentment. There was no like, hey, my kids afford. There was nothing like that. It was like, and they went to the same high school, but there was just like overwhelming praise. Yeah. Of, this kid works so hard. He's special. It and they know each other because Tava's younger brother was just a little bit older than Bauer. So they actually overlapped some. And I think he's on a mission right now. He's like committed to I Nevada so, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a big body, but it's similar. How did we end up on this track? Oh, talking about like a love Hifo and, but tight end. It's like, does who your tight end to is matter for? No, really any to it's like, you are, if you're in a situation where you're in double tight, it's like you need someone serviceable. And we, we've talked about this some with like a lot of the the receiver room, right? It's like, okay, we know who Keanu Hill is. We know who Chase Roberts is. We know who Cody Epps is. Like Keelan Marion is that big body who can, he's going to be here for a few years. Get to know that name. He's good. He's going to play, right? But it's like when people are upset, like, oh, Darius Lasser, it's like, oh, we brought in a guy who only had like 450 yards at Eastern Michigan. Dude, if you're that slot receiver, if you can get 450 yards for one team, you can get 450 yards and 35 catches for any team, right? Like it's, you have, yeah. if you have a dude, you need like one dude that opens up enough and the rest is just like, are you not slow as molasses? You don't need to be a super speedster, but it's like, are you not terribly slow? And can you find a soft spot in the zone? But like, if you're freaking, if you're tight end too, it's like, okay, yeah, he's a little bigger, He's probably a better blocker just than Bowers is just because he's been doing it at the college level. Like FCS is better than five, a ball right. in Arizona. Right. Oh, and yeah. so it's like, that's that. And it's like, okay, it's, 
can you catch a ball? And, you know, it's like you don't need to be super fast. Like we saw Daniel Coates got – did he get drafted? He got drafted in the seventh round, I think, right? Uh, I think he did. If he didn't, he certainly stuck with the Bengals and played for a while. But it's like he weighed like 270 pounds and ran like a 5-240. But it's like he was a good blocker and he knew how to work the defense a little bit and find a spot and settle down and he didn't drop anything. Like that's yeah. – if you're tight end two, that's all you need. And so it's – I'm not really worried – about when you talk about like the depth it's like i'm not really i mean you worry about depth in terms of and it's not receiver depth because it's like you need oh if you have a superstar as your wide receiver three then it's like you're going to be able to do so much more on the offense because there's only so much you can spread the team out it's really it's like well if number one gets hurt you still have somebody who's good enough to be like we need to pay attention to that guy because if nobody is good enough to where they require any special attention then you can just kind of sit back divvy up the field evenly and yeah. a lot of the holes get covered up. Like you have to have someone who commands extra to create that gap. And as long as you have one of those dudes, the gap is there for everyone else. And, and at a position like tight end, the depth chart is going to be fluid, right? Because uh, is, I mean, I think Tava's probably going to play the second most rep so long as Isaac Rex is healthy. If Isaac Rex goes down, I don't think you anybody should assume that all of R- Isaac Rex's reps now go to Tava. Yeah, because they, no, I think Isaac Rex is going to be there as a, a pass threat as well, and and I think Tase, I think he can be a, a receiving threat, but maybe that's when you look closer to an Ethan Erickson or maybe to Jackson Bowers at that point, or even to Anthony Olson, right? But if you need somebody who's going to spell, like you need your heavy formation. Then yeah, it's probably going to be Taase, or you're going to run some sort of eleven personnel, or you know, you know what I mean. Like there's different, different aspects of the game, different situations where yeah, tight end two is a traditional tight end two, like it would be a backup quarterback. But then there's other scenarios, other situations, other sets that it's not that way. And depending on what the injury is, your tight end two might actually be your tight end four. Like that's just kind of a funky, a funky position. We saw it a lot with Mason Wake, right? Like. Uh, when Dallin Holker left, it wasn't like Mason Wake just slid into Dallin Holker's role because right. yeah, they were both tight ends, but they were different. And so they played differently. Like That's just the, the fact of the matter. Yeah. And I, I mean, you will kind of see things too, because Isaac Rex is fast enough and he's tall enough, right? That he can be used outside, inside, right? Like whatever. But it's, you know, I don't think you're going to, you're not going to see Tava, split out wide the way you would Isaac Rex sometimes, or even, I mean, even with Holker here, we saw Holker line up at receiver a lot more than you would seeing Isaac Rex split out wide, unless it was like down in, you know, in the red zone where you're just trying to, you know, toss the ball up, but someone like Anthony Olson or Ethan Erickson, who are both faster, they, you know, you might see them come in as the, you know, Andrew George type. And we even kind of saw that with Andrew George and Dennis Pitta, where George was slender and he was a definitively a receiving tight end where Pitta was the more like well-round, obviously Pitta set the NCAA record for receptions and yards by a tight end, whatever. But it's like, he was more rounded and was clearly the better blocker, but it was, if Pitta went down, you wouldn't have suddenly been like, you know, Andrew George is going to be your inline tight end, which he did occasionally do that, but it wasn't like, you know, you need a first down on third and two. Andrew George is not the tight end that you're going to have every single time, like getting 100% of the snaps. I you, go you know, back to like 2010, 2011. I don't remember what year it was there when there wasn't a clear cut tight end one for a little while. You had guys like, you know, uh, Austin Holt, Connie Friel, Devin Mahina, 
uh, Richard, Richard Wilson, like they all played and they all played in individual sets and it was almost like they all had their own play package. I mean, that's the tight end position. You hope it's not that drastic, but like, that's what the yeah. tight end position. I, I did not think uh, that we would talk about tight end two for this long, but we have, and it's been wonderful. I mean, well, I think it's not so much like, yeah, like this long is just like, it's not something that I'm, it's way far down the list of concerns of yeah, where I think things could go right wrong or where there's issues. Cause I don't, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. People are like, we need to use the tight end more. We have to use the tight end more. Why are you saying like, I don't care about who catches. I don't care about using the tight end. I care about throwing the ball and scoring points. And I don't care if that's, if we're frigging running a tackle eligible and Kingsley leads the teams in receptions. I don't care if that's what it takes. That's what it takes. I don't care who is doing it, but also back in the day when our tight ends were like, uh, you know, when our tight ends were leading the team in receptions our like second best receiver on the team was like Nate Mickle, no offense to Nate Mickle, but it's like our receiver depth is a lot better he, than it was. Is, doctor those... now? is it Dr. Mickle? I believe it is Dr. Mickle now. Yes. Yeah. But like put some, put some respect on his name. The, you know, it's like, that's, we're not in that place anymore. And it's like, I don't, you know, and we, a lot of it is right. It's, you're not flexing. I mean, how many times I don't, uh, you know, PFF wasn't around back in 2009, but if you go back and watch tape, like how, what percentage of the time was, were Dennis Pitt or Andrew George split out wide versus in line. And where it was like, they were effectively were our third and fourth best receiver wide, true wide receivers. So they got a lot of run because they were not just tight ends, but they were also better than most of the wide receivers that we had on our team. Do you want to hear a sad story about Dennis Pitta and all of that? Yes. I was on my mission from 2008 to 2000. Well, the 2008, 2009 season, I was on my Mm -hmm. mission. So like most of the Pitta era, I missed it. Well, I couldn't answer any of those questions. I don't know. I mean, I know I've I've watched. I could answer them, but I can't answer. You got Jimmer Mania, so shut up. I did get Jimmer. That was some of us. You know, a hush will fall over the crowd when people when we get to heaven (laughs) and people hear that we served and missed Jimmer Mania for the the Lord. The number of viruses for Jesus. Okay. That's bold. And the number of viruses that the rest of us picked up on our computers because we had to figure out weird streams to download in order to get the mountain so that we could watch Jimmer. That was, we made our own sacrifices too. Um, You got to do what you got to do. We've got to talk about the safety position because, yeah, there's been some news there. Micah Harper out for the year. Uh, I don't know when exactly that happened, but when we haven't had a show for as long as we've had a show, it's all breaking news. If you were on the Discord, you knew. Yeah, we knew. So so Micah Harper out for the year. That's a bummer. Uh, Talon Alfrey. There's rumblings and bumblings about Talon Alfrey having uh, some severity of a shoulder injury. Now, here's the thing about shoulders. Uh, I don't know that we know what it is, right? Because there's like so many weird things. The, the words that have been spread about on the mission on the mission boards, the message boards is broken shoulder. But like, I don't know what that means, because is that really a broken shoulder? Like he's got his clavicle is actually broken. His collarbone is shoulder broken. blade, your scapula, I think. Yeah, or is it like he had a torn shoulder or a dislocated shoulder or is it a labrum or is it an ace? What, what are they? What's the PC or whatever that it's something CL sprain. I mean, there's all sorts of weird, goofy things that go on with a shoulder. 
And because BYU is never going to talk about it publicly, I I hesitate to believe any of the details that we've heard. Because, yeah, I mean, I've seen rumors from people who are otherwise credible, right, that have said he's out for the year. I've heard people who have said he's out for a couple of weeks, could be back early October. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know what it is. Now, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's important, but also I have seen just a, a lot of people now talking about like, well, gal, do we need to go add another safety out of the portal? Do, do we need to move a corner over? Guys, this is kind of the new era of BYU football here that – BYU has lost Micah Harper. Great. Like, he's great. That sucks that he's gone. And Talon Alfrey gone for whatever amount of time. That also sucks. I think Talon Alfrey is very, very good. The third safety up is a four-star freshman in Raider DeMooney. And yeah, maybe Raider DeMooney is not ready to be the guy, but that's safety depth, folks. Like, that's three safeties that you're feeling pretty darn good about it. And and so there was there was discussion that I saw uh, throughout the the week that was like I can't believe Jay Hill didn't go get more safety depth. Like I I don't know what kind of safety depth he's gonna get that is gonna be better than where BYU was at. Right? I know that Jay Hill tried to get like legit starting caliber safeties. I mean, had Sione Vaki hit the portal and he flirted with it there, like Sione Vaki did, whether that's been said out loud or not, he flirted with it. Um, yeah, BYU would have been all over somebody like that who comes in and is an immediate starter. But if you're not that immediate contributor and you're sitting in the transfer portal and Jay Hill calls you up and it's like, well, wait a minute, you've got Micah Harper, freshman All-American, who you're feeling pretty darn good about. That's your starter. You've got this Alfrey kid who I've read all about that people are really high on him and he played a bunch last year. And then you've got a four-star in Raider DeMooney who's right there as well. I might be able to compete for a starting spot, but why would I come to BYU? Because if I might be able to compete for a starting spot, why don't I George Udo it and go to go to Cincinnati where clearly there's a need? I don't think that BYU's need was that clear. It sucks now, right, with two injuries in fall camp. Yeah, that sucks. But, like, BYU's safety position was in pretty good shape. Now... Uh, yeah, I mean, now you worry like Raider DeMooney, that could be a little bit early. Like he could have some learning, learning pains and growing pains. And I think he remember, did he, did he gray shirt last year or when did he actually get home? He, I can't remember if it was officially a gray shirt. He's been home about 10 months. Okay. Uh, so gray shirt or not, I don't know, but like he's been home for a while, but here's the thing about Raider is, uh, athletically he's there and there's, there's going to be things that like when people, uh, people have said again, message board because practices have been locked down more than ever. So you've just got message board insiders who are saying things about like, Oh, he's struggling with the playbook. That's not true. So watch Raider well, DeMooney at Tim view and Raider DeMooney's playbook was go make the play. Right? So he did things at Tim view that were outside of the construct of a defense. He can't do those things at the college level. He's got to stay within the defense. But that is a very, very different scenario than he doesn't know the playbook. Him not knowing what he can and cannot get away with and learning on the fly is so dramatically different than he doesn't know the playbook. And Zach it's not learn that he can't throw into every tight window in the NFL. 
right? I mean, like a quarterback has to learn that, but you wouldn't say, oh, he doesn't know the playbook. Like, no, that throw worked in college, doesn't work in the NFL. Same scenario for Raider. Like, that's what freshmen do. He's going to have to learn what works in college that, or what doesn't work in college that did work in high school. But I, not knowing the playbook, not knowing the scheme, that's very different. He just needs to stay within the scheme and the playbook. And so that comes with, you know, if you throw Raider in, yeah, maybe he makes his mistakes against Sam Houston and SUU and even Arkansas. But if all he's having to do is figure out what works and what doesn't, you expect that to be remedied re- relatively quickly. And by Kansas, okay, he's okay. We're, we're in good shape. And it's also in a position to its safety where, like, even if you're not necessarily in coverage, you're going to adjust to the speed of the game just from sheer reps right because even like from the quarterback perspective you are taking you know on any depending you know maybe it's your 60 40 pass okay so take throw 40 percent of your plays and you're not even able to glean anything in terms of what can i do you know on this and what can i get away with that's not even going to tell me anything but then you have different types of throws and it's like if it's a screen well then okay well that doesn't also tell you anything if you're talking about like just chucking it deep on you know you got a it's a go around you're saying okay we're pushing it to the end zone it's like okay well you're gonna let it rip and you overthrow it so you can live to nine the other day that doesn't tell you anything versus like a safety even if it's like in run support he's gonna just play after play be like okay this is the like i need to adjust my angles my speed like i gotta get used to this and kind of every yeah. play is a lot more beneficial and that's even quarterback i mean that's why you see there's nothing to read into Ryder Burton being QB4 other than the fact you know 100% you want to retro him because you have two other quarterbacks who can play and so he could either be QB3 and holding the clipboard or he could be the scout team QB and be adjusting and learning that and honestly you know heading into next season assuming Keaton Slovis starts every game this year heading into the QB battle next spring Ryder Burton will be have had the most reps against yeah. an FBS defense over the last year of anyone in the room. And it doesn't matter what the depth chart is right now because I mean, know, that worked, that worked out for max, right? I mean, max yeah. hall, like he had to beat out a bunch of guys who were ahead of him on the depth chart, but he had those scout team reps and it's those, those matter. And you look at NFL quarterbacks and it's like, okay, the guys that have a chance to sit behind someone, the hit rate on yeah. quarterbacks who can sit for a year and just learn and adjust before getting thrown in eaten up and spat out and then they lose their confidence and get the yips like it matters and so it's in a good it's in it is i love that Ryder burton is qb4 i would be concerned if he was qb2 uh yeah i think i agree with that the the other thing i'll say regarding the safety position before we officially change gears uh if byu were to go and make a late addition and get a late addition out of the transfer portal who's better that's available i mean yeah like i don't think anybody's there but I'll tell you what, I would much rather BYU go figure out a way to get another Tyler Batty to help out that safety position. You want to help out the safeties? Get to the damn quarterback. Yeah. Like, like that's really the, the, that's where it is, right? I mean, yes, you need strong safety play, but I'm confident enough in Raider. I, I like Preston Rex. Like, again, he's your third, fourth safety. Do I like Preston Rex if that's the guy you're counting on and everybody, there's a drop off after Preston? Probably not, but I like Preston Rex as a, you know, your fourth option. I think he's, I think he's fine. I think he'd do okay. Like you would have ups and downs, but I think he'd do okay. I like Ethan Slade. I think crew Wakely is a really interesting name. 
he played quarterback at Jordan High School before uh, he went he to Utah beat State. Out, he beat out Zach Wilson to play quarterback at Jordan High School, and then right. Zach Wilson I mean, transferred to Corner Canyon, right? Right, and the dude's freaky good. Like, he's freaky athletic. Maybe he's something that's there, and he's been working hard, just kind of vying for his chance. And so I'm not overly concerned about the safety. The, like, the position is razor thin. Like, you, you can't afford another injury there. I don't know what happens if Malik Moore goes down. I'm far more concerned about that safety position than I am that strong safety position. Uh, for all the you know heat that Malik Moore takes, and some of it deserves, some of it isn't. Looking at you, Corley Ward, like give the guy some slack. My gosh, uh, he's a senior leader. I mean, he's going to help whoever's back there with him. If he goes down, then and yeah, I start to get a little bit more concerned about the safety position overall. So I'm concerned about. What happens if there's another injury at safety? I'm not overly concerned yet about how the safeties who are healthy will play. I think there's still enough talent that they'll be okay. But yeah, Malik goes down. If Raider goes down, then it's like, oh man, this is this could get ugly on the field, not just on the depth chart. Yeah, I feel like you can on defense, you can you can scheme around one spot. Uh, you can scheme around three positions, right? You can scheme around one guy at each level. Like if you have one bad linebacker, you can work around that. If you have one iffy D line, you know, if you're running like a, you know, a four, three, right? Like if you have one of your four D linemen is meh, the other three can make up for it. You can put flip your linebacker. So you have your best linebacker behind that guy. You know, like if you have two really good corners, which we do have, you know, like Robinson and Heckard, that is a hell of a tandem. We got Camden Garrett. Like we have a surprising amount of depth at corner that we are not used to. Yeah. I mean, would you say this is the deepest corner position that we've seen since like 96 um, with McTire and Omar Morgan? I would say it's the most talented. I'm not ready to say deepest yet because there's a lot of youth in that room. I love Eddie Heckard, I love Camden Garrett, and I love Jacob Robinson. But those are your only three really proven guys, right? Fair enough. But I think that, that Maury Bamba, I think he's got the talent, he's got the athleticism, he's, he's played well, that's great. That's a, that's a tune change for you. That is, I, and I don't know that he's my, cute, my, my fourth cornerback, but I think he's there. Uh, Marcus McKenzie, I love Marcus McKenzie. I think he's got a super bright future. Jaden Dunlap can play. Uh, so there's a lot of guys there. I think there's a lot of talent. But even going back just to last year, um, there was a lot more proven talent there. So I think last year was probably deeper, although I would say this year has the potential to be deeper. But you just never really know what you're getting with a freshman until you get it. And BYU would be relying on a lot of freshmen after those first three yeah. guys. I'm also, I mean, shoot, my expectations are low on the season. Right. Like I've seen, which is, this is kind of weird. Cause it's, I've seen people dunk or try to like slam on TCU for getting absolutely embarrassed by Georgia in the national title game. But it's like, you still it's played the in the national game. title game. Right. Yeah. And it's like their preseason last year, I think their win total last year was like seven and a half wins on the season. It's like, they were already playing with house money. Right. Yeah. So it's like right now where every book, you know, I've got a lot of money placed on, uh, hitting over four and a half wins because that feels like free money to me. I think we get at least five, five and seven, right? But it's like, Let, let's go through it, Garrett, because we haven't, I don't think we've done this yet. But the, okay, while well, you pull up the schedule. So the, with that, it's like, I don't, it's like, 
with the low expectations, I think Vegas has a pretty good pulse on win totals. You know, here though, you'll have some, a lot of win totals are made by, made or broken by injuries. Like you lose a starting quarterback who, and there's nothing really behind them. And it's like you were pegged at like nine and a half wins. Okay. You end up seven and five, eight and five. Like you're not terribly off, but it's like you're not going to get that hit over. But the, um, but you know, if you're over half, if it's like, okay, well, we're, we finished seven and five and, we had a, but we played a ton of freshmen on defense who we have a solid core. Then I feel pretty damn happy, honestly, like I did in 2018, where it was like, well, shoot, eight of the 11 starters on that 2018 offense ended up being, it's like, yeah, that team wasn't great, but the future was there. And you're like, well, shoot, there's like, okay, the entire starting five offensive line are either freshmen or sophomores. Like, we're going to be be able to block for the next couple of years and I don't have yeah. to worry about it. It's like, I'm fine. Like the bar is so low for expectations this year. Sam Houston. We'll talk more in detail about Sam Houston, but it's roughly a 20 point spread right now. It actually was up at 22 and a half. And I, I said, I would not take BYU at 22 and a half. I think it's below 21 now at most places. I'm, in fact, I've seen 20 and a half at this point. So I would. Yeah. I mean, that I, changes changes the game a little bit for me. I just I don't like taking and I wouldn't take anything like over twenty. It's like I'm not gonna take you know it's like it's it's twenty. It's like I'm not gonna take it to cover twenty plus. Like there's just too many. You're getting you know it's like you got your little like angle and you're getting yeah. it's the same angle but the further you go out the farther apart those two lines are right. That's a lot of a lot of points. But, I mean, let's just go wins and losses here. So we'll talk more details about Sam Houston. But I think, okay, whether 20 or not, I think we both agree there that's a win, right? So you got one. Uh, Southern Utah is an obvious win. There you go. Now we get into the real season. So you've got 10 games to pick up three wins to hit the over on that four and a half. 10 games, three wins. You've got to go three for 10. You go at Arkansas. Now, that this is an interesting game to me. Because BYU hung with Arkansas. I mean, it was a blowout. Like, I've seen people that are like, no, it was a close game until the second could happen. It wasn't close. Like, it was a blowout. BYU couldn't stop them uh, at any point. Like, whether if Arizona, if Arkansas decided they just wanted to win by seven points, they could have gone up by a touchdown and then just like three plays a pot or three yards a play, four yards a play, and just drained the clock. I mean, that game wasn't close. However, Jaron Hall and that offense, they were able to move the ball really well. Um, and I think Arkansas takes a step back this year. They still have KJ Jefferson, but I don't think that defense got inherently better. I still think you have to count this as a loss, but that win wouldn't be overly surprising to me. Yeah. Okay. And then you go on the road to Kansas. I'm so confused by Kansas. I, they're so similar understand. to BYU. Like, they had a dreadful, terrible, awful defense last year. As bad as BYU. And they had an offense that carried them. Jalen Daniels is great. I, I don't know what to expect this year. I don't think that defense is going to get uh, significantly better overnight, right? I mean, I think that they're kind of in the same boat that BYU is in of like, okay, well... If Jay Hill can get the Cougars to uh, 70th ranked defense, that's a 30 spot improvement, but that's still not a good defense. Right. I think, I don't know, man. I like that one as a win. 
I think it's a toss up, especially like being on the road. But it's I think we're gonna well by week three because who does Kansas uh, Kansas football schedule? We're gonna know. Arkansas is gonna tell up, but so Kansas opens up, Missouri State at home, Illinois at home, on the road at Nevada. Like we're gonna know a lot more about both of those teams by the time that game rolls around. That I think we're gonna be able to definitively say like this is. I think we're gonna know one way or the other what to expect going into that game, and it feels very toss upy right now. But Kansas's schedule is pretty weak. Ours those first two weeks are weak, but we have the good the actual test at Arkansas. We're gonna know what we're working with here before we yeah. get into that. But I, yeah, I don't. I would say it's like maybe 60-40 Kansas, just because they are on the road and or they're the well, home team, and their quarterback can run, and that's gonna pose a threat. Like, yeah, that could be a kind of game where it's like twenty-one to seventeen, and they just milk the clock. And and let's pretend. I mean, let's just play the pretend game here. If Kansas loses to Illinois. And then they go on the road to Reno, which isn't an easy place to play. Like Nevada is not a very good team, but Reno's not easy to get to. And that's an 830 game for them. That will be the late night game for Kansas at Nevada. So let's pretend something happens there and Kansas is a lot closer to old Kansas and they lose to Nevada and they lose to Illinois. I mean, they won't because Nevada just had some of their coaches quit like this week. I know. But <laughs> if that were to happen. Yes. In theory. I mean, then then Lawrence, you know, David Booth Stadium, like that's not going to be a crazy environment. So uh, I I don't know. I can see a BYU win there. So I'm gonna Illinois, not bad either. Like they're, the Illini are on the rise. Yeah, they're not. not they're not going to be the you know, they're not the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten that they have been. Yeah, so I would I'm say Vanderbilt of the Big Ten because Rutgers is its own category. Yeah, of they're their own bad. Uh, Cincinnati, the week five, I, Cincinnati plays Oklahoma the week before they got a short week. They travel to BYU. It's a Friday night game. It's an eight 15 kick. Uh, this is a scheduling nightmare for Cincinnati. Yeah. And they've lost more production than just about anybody in the country. Right. They, they're so, turning to George Udo to fix their problems. That should, <laughs> I I'm giving BYU a win there. So uh, by my count, right. Four and a half is what you got to bet. I got four by the end of September. Like, okay. Uh, then you get a bye week, get a little healthy. TCU, TCU is interesting. I You have to count this as a loss, but TCU, it, it's sandwiched in between a road trip to, to Iowa State and a big road trip to Kansas State for TCU. I, I don't think Iowa State's going to be a very good team, but that defense is still going to be great. Think 2012 BYU when you think of Iowa State. Uh, their defense last year was a top 10 defense in the country. Like you will remember playing Iowa state this year. That defense is still back. They're still good. They lost Will McDonald to the draft, but they return a lot of dudes. That defense is for real. You do not want to play Iowa state. Like they, you just don't their offense terrible, but that defense is elite. And so TCU that's going to be a tough game for them. And then they have homecoming against BYU. Could they be looking ahead of that big game against Kansas state? Maybe I think you got to count this as a loss, but I, I see a path towards a win. I just don't think it happens. Agree. Disagree. Yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I think TCU, we could probably pencil that in. Okay. As a loss. Uh, then you go Texas tech. Um, that one's a loss. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, BYU could win, but I, I think if you're betting overs and unders, right, I think you got to count that as a loss. Texas Tech, I think, is going to be what Kansas State was last year, and it would not shock me at all if Texas Tech won the Big 12. No, I, me neither. Now, I do think that this is a schedule, a, a tough schedule for, for Tech. They play Kansas State the week before. They have a bye week after their BYU game, but then they have TCU. Uh, so they've got some big games that are you know bookended around BYU. Uh, this is kind of the first real Big 12 home game for BYU. I get that they have Cincinnati, but this will be the first against like the Big 12 schools. So I think it'll be a crazy environment. I could absolutely make an argument that BYU wins this game. And in fact, I might pick BYU to win this game because of that. But betting wins and wins and losses and win totals, I, I just don't see it. I think you yeah. have to count this as a loss uh, when you're when you're betting that win total. Okay, then you got Texas. It's the same scenario there. You've got to count that as a loss. Uh, then it's Iowa State. Well, excuse me. Then it's West Virginia, and I don't think West Virginia is very good at all. No, I don't. I don't think West Virginia. I don't think Neil Brown will be coaching West Virginia on November fourth when we make that trip to Morgantown. Now, the question I have there, is that a good thing or a bad thing for BYU if he's not the coach? I mean, it's, I mean, it's never a good thing, but it's something, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I've seen a lot of people talk about how that road trip is brutal, and I agree. Like, you never want to travel to West Virginia, but BYU's been doing this. Like, that's not foreign I don't, to BYU. I've never understood why. I think people, they think West Virginia and think like, oh, man, this is like, Okay, does anybody think that traveling to Corvallis or is brutal or that traveling to Pullman is brutal? I mean, I don't like it. I mean, you don't like it, but it's like people Morgantown is like it's an hour away from the Pittsburgh airport. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's not like it is And they have an airport, so I'm assuming they'll charge. Yeah, and they have an airport. So it's not like you are you know, it's not like you are, it's, I mean, yeah, you're chartering your flight and you're, I mean, we'll have an airport, right? Cause you used to have to fly a little bit of a way and bus to Pullman because they didn't have a runway there big enough to support a jet. So you couldn't charter straight into it, but like, yeah, getting to Morgantown for all the other sports, like if you're not chartering, like you're, I don't even know, you like baseball or whatever. It's yeah, not, if you're flying commercial, you're taking a flight from Salt Lake to Pittsburgh and hopping on a bus and going an hour to your hotel. That's not. That different than honestly any other team, whether if they're chartering, when they're chartering into Salt Lake and then taking a bus to Provo, it's not that it's, it's not, not different that, at all. Yeah, I, I if, agree. If they're flying that. commercially into Salt Lake, so it's. Yeah. I I just don't know that the travel. I mean, the time zones is different, right? And that is a long flight, but like people keep talking about that from a BYU perspective. Like, my gosh, that's going to be the end of the world for BYU. I I don't get it because last know. year they traveled to florida nobody seemed to care you know what i mean like they traveled to lynchburg virginia and they got beat by liberty but it wasn't because of travel yeah uh, it's i think why you travels that far fixate. they have for the last 10 years they fixate on weird things and it's like i mean if it's travel and it's like it's you know a noon kickoff then yeah that's a different story because that really sucks but like you deal with it yeah. Uh, the next week after, so I'm calling West Virginia win. The next weekend after that, we got Iowa State at home. I'm calling. Uh, I like it as a win. I think I count that as a win. And then we got Oklahoma at home. Uh, I we've talked see, about this game. Yeah, I think, I think it could be a win. You have to count this as a loss if you're betting. Yes, but I but think I it could be a win. win. I'm not. 
I mean, Oklahoma was not good last year, and I don't know that they're going to massively turn around this year. I don't think like Dylan Gabriel is going to be their answer at quarterback, and they have a lot of questions. It's the environment is going to be insane at home on senior night, whatever. And then that's the last game before we head to Stillwater next week. And I think, I mean, assume depending, I mean, a lot can happen between now and then with like health and things, you know, for trotting out Ryder Burton and uh, I don't even like, yeah, for trotting out Ryder Burton and Enoch Nawahine in the backfield because of injuries, then you know, we are, it's not great, but Oklahoma state Gunny says they still don't have a quarterback and they're going to play two quarterbacks for a while. And so it's like they they got wrecked in the portal. I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be this year. So I would – I don't know. I think their floor is higher than like the Cincinnati's and the Kansas's and the West Virginia's and the Iowa State's of the conference. But I don't expect them to be great. Yeah. And so that's in the – that is in the like, you know – It's in that toss-up category. It's in but the like here's, here's the thing about the from from an over under perspective, right? From a win total perspective, you already got your wins, right? Like if it, that, if I you think were that, right there and you had to have the Oklahoma State game in order to hit, I would say don't bet BYU's win totals. But there's a, a based on just our you know napkin math here, BYU has their wins over four and a half on the first Saturday in November, and you're just in the money for the last three weeks of the year. Yep. So I think I think the over four and a half is free money. Take it if you can still I think get so it. Too. But it is week zero. When we wrap out the show, we'll bring back our picks. We do. We can pick the full slate Ooh. of games this season. Are we? Are you tracking? Because we've done this every year, and we forget to track for the first couple of years. Or yes, first I'll, couple I'll, of weeks. I'll, we'll, we'll track. We'll put it down right now. I've got Fanduel open. All right, uh, you 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 get a setup. I'll vamp. You know, I'll come up with something okay, here to talk I'm about. Okay. Oh, well, so okay. Easy enough. We got Navy in Notre Dame. In you know, it's gonna be Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Notre Dame. Oh, wait, what's the spread? Are we betting spreads or are we betting wins? Uh well, we'll do both, but we'll take now, we'll let's, do the money let's line. Just, let's, just we'll go, do... let's just go with the, the, the lines. Let's bet on the lines. Okay. So the it's minus uh, Notre Dame is a 20 and a half point favorite. Three touchdowns huh. over Navy, who's got a new coaching staff, but oh, yeah. they are in Ireland. And Notre Dame, after failing to hire an offensive coordinator, promoted their tight ends coach to be their offensive coordinator. <laughs> and uh, it's a 20 and a half. Yes, but the total is only 40 and a half. So they're saying that this is going to yeah. be like a. I'm still taking Notre Dame. I like what's his name, Hartman at quarterback. Um, I like Marcus Freeman. I really want Notre Dame to lose because my guy Davis Andrews is considering BYU, Utah, Notre Dame. So if Notre Dame could suck, that'd be phenomenal for us, right? But I don't think they suck right now. I like the Irish to cover. Okay. The I think... Uh... Yeah, I okay. So you're taking. I don't. I think Navy covers just because it is in Ireland, and that's a lot of travel. Their camp is a little bit, you know, different. They got a new quarterback. They have a new OC. Whatever. So does Navy. Are, are they but still the going to be a triple option team there in Annapolis? Uh, I 
they'll do something because they did change the rules. So like army is shifting away and army is moving to a spread option, right? right. They're not doing the triple option. So they'll do some, but it's, they're still obviously going to try to pound, run the ball. The implied score by based on the total and the spread is 35, 14 Notre Dame. That feels for error. Yeah. So I think Navy covers and take the under just because I don't think we're going to see an offensive explosion on the road in Ireland. I just don't know that Navy scores 14 points. Well, I don't care if Navy scores four. If Navy doesn't score 14 points, then you, there's your under. And I don't think Notre Dame. Oh, even you're if going under. I thought you were yeah, taking. No, yeah. I'm saying Navy covers okay. and take the under because I don't think Notre Dame wins 20. I mean, Notre Dame could win 21 to zero. I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I think Notre cover, Dame could win. This you can take the. I think we can safely take the under at forty-eight and a half. All right. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, All right. Okay. What's next? UTEP at Jacksonville State. UTEP Ooh. is a one and a half point favorite on the road versus the Rich Rodriguez-led Jacksonville State Gamecocks. I will not bet against Rich Rod. Not against UTEP anyway. Well, I, Wait, you, you said you said that UTEP is the favorite. One and a half. So basically, oh, give me Rich Rod and the points, man, for sure. Yeah, based off I think, of nothing, but I know who Rich Rod is. I know who UTEP, and I know who I know what UTEP is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The okay, uh, the Ohio Bobcats are two and a half point dogs on the road at San Diego State. Mm. What a year it has been for San Diego State. At what point do they just finally say, okay, Pac-12, you didn't want us. Big 12, you didn't want us. Mountain West, we didn't want you, but that didn't work out. Been a wild year. Uh, I do think that Brady Hoke is a good enough coach that he'll have them focused and they'll they'll, co- they'll cover two and a half. But I do want to bet. I do want to pick Ohio. They were always my team. You know, anytime you started a dynasty from nowhere, I loved Ohio. So I think I would pick Ohio. I don't know. Oh, Garrett, I'm sitting here thinking through this one now. I think San Diego State, I just don't think they're very good. I don't trust their offense. I haven't trusted a San Diego State offense in a long time. But I do think that they probably get the best of Ohio here in week one. Okay, I'm going to stick with my bet. I am. I'm going to stick with my bet. Uh, We're going to take San Diego State um, to cover two and a half against Ohio. I think I I feel good about that. I feel good. I'm, I'm taking the Bobcats on here just yeah, because I mean, I'm, I'm right there. I want to, I think Ohio is going to win the Mac and Curtis Rourke is going to be the G five QB. He's going to be what Jake Hayner was last year. He's, where he's the, the G five QB or maybe not Jake Hayner. Cause Hayner's kind of known quantity. Like who was the, uh, the Carson strong the of like two years ago where oh. like everyone was like, Ooh, like Nevada's not good, but Carson Strong can ball. Like, watch him; he's gonna be perfect. That's gonna be Curtis Rourke, especially. I mean, you saw, do you see that play from the the Jaguars preseason yeah, yeah. game? His older brother Nathan, who won the MAC, you know, and there it was. I think Curtis Rourke is that guy, and okay. so I'm taking them because I just I feel like even too there's San Diego State. There may be a lot of like depression 
in the locker room. Well, oh, yeah, well, I mean, because their AD was straight about. up telling them we're going to the Pac-12 next season, and now they're they not. Still could that could still true. prove to be accurate. That's true. So okay, we so you took the. I uh, think excellent. I just San Diego State. I'm just going to take San Diego State. I think yeah. Brady Hoke has them pissed off. So okay. The um, let's see, we got UMass is a touchdown underdog on the road in Las Cruces versus New Mexico State. <laughs> what a shit fest of a game! <laughs> if you are watching this game, you are truly a degenerate, and I am a degenerate. The books do not like this. The total is 44 and a half. This is oh going to be a crappy, gosh. ugly football game that nobody trusts either of these. I don't even know if you call this a football game. New Mexico State and UMass. Uh, I, I mean, give me the home team just because, I don't know, they're home and UMass is far away. But, man, what a dog shit game. I, I think I'm going to take UMass just because I think with a full camp to prepare I don't think I think New Mexico State will win. I take the Aggies outright, but Don Brown is still the coach at UMass, and I think yeah, his defense. I get, I get it. I get Norm Chow vibes though. Like Norm Chow, elite coordinator, he'll he'll surely do something in Hawaii. I mean, I don't, well, I don't remember what those Hawaii offenses were putting out, but that's also. You know, they weren't playing New Mexico. Hawaii wasn't playing New Mexico State. <laughs> so it's it's hard oh, to tell because is it even televised or is it on like Facebook? Uh let me see. And that feels like that one's gonna be a stadium.tv stream on Facebook. Yeah, well, because they are New Mexico State was previously, I you know, I think UMass still is. It was like flow TV or whatever was their thing. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yes, I do remember this now. This is this game is the primetime game on ESPN. Oh yeah, because of contractual <laughs> obligations with Conference USA, while USD is playing San Jose State on the Pac-12 Network, and nobody will see it. Holy shit! So we're all gonna watch this dog shit game. Yes, we are. Oh man, and I we will love it. it. Okay, Hawaii is seventeen and a half on the road at Vanderbilt. Man. We got to get rid of week zero. These games are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> These are terrible games. Um, I am a believer in uh, Barton Simmons, former 24-7 sports guy. Uh, he knows talent, and now he is the recruiting director over there at Vanderbilt. He's obviously not a coach, and Vanderbilt obviously isn't going to compete in the SEC but I do think he knows talent really well. And when it comes to Hawaii, having to come from Hawaii, they've got, you know, everything that's going on in Hawaii. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons that Hawaii could be distracted. Uh, I, I like Vanderbilt to cover even a big point spread like this. I like Vanderbilt to cover. I mean, Hawaii bless Timmy Chang's heart. They're bad. They Vanderbilt beat them 63 to 10 yeah. last year on the road. I mean, I know it's, this is probably the only time in his life that Nick, a Nick Howell defense will be favored by three scores and cover. At least in that conference. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm also taking the Commodores. Then we have USC is given 30 and a half at home against San Jose State. 
Oh my God, I'm on like every favorite this week, but I think it's the Caleb Williams revenge tour this year, man. Like, I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to hold back for anybody. I think they want to score 75 points a week. The The total on this game is 66 and a half. And I think USC might do that on their own. I do too. Um, I, I do too. So I mean, yeah, I do. I just third. I do not. Thirty and a half is a lot. If I was actually going to put money on this, I would probably. I wouldn't touch the spread just because thirty and a half is a gross spread, and we're yeah. going to take some heat on this one just because we are picking every game for the sake of picking every game. Yeah, uh, I would definitely. I would take the over, and I don't. Yeah, I think USC wins by 35 points. This is going to be similar to like, I mean, somehow Siobhan Cordero is still playing at San Jose State, but they lost some dudes. A couple, they lost a lot of guys from their defense. They're not the same San Jose State that won the Mountain West three years ago. No. Um, Then the the last game, back to the really, really awful games. We got Florida International at Louisiana Tech. 12 and a half Florida, the Bulldogs are a 12 and a half point favorite at home in Ruston. Uh, 12 and a half is just a big, I mean, those are two teams that I think aren't, I mean, head coach, Sonny Cumbie from a talent standpoint. I think those teams are pretty similar. I think Florida, uh, FIU, I mean, they get athletes 12 and a half points is a lot in week one. And mostly because I'm on so many of the, like so many of the favored teams this week, I feel like I have to take the dog here. So give me FIU in the point. I don't even, who is the coach at FIU? Oh yeah. Mike McTowns. It's not Tom Herman. That's FAU. You know, I always get Correct. those two mixed up, but it's a former San Jose state and Colorado head coach. Mike McIntyre is the, I don't know. It's the, if we're going back to not betting against Rich Rod, you got Sonny Cumbie versus Mike McIntyre. What a fall from grace for these these fine coaches. Both of them. Both of them. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I'm taking. Yeah, I I think I got to just zag a little bit because we you've been heavy heavy on heavy on the favorites. I think got to take FIU just because I mean the travel is not the. I mean you're going one time zone over. It's not that you're and flying from of- Miami. I mean, it's two touchdowns. That's not nothing against a team that I think if you're FIU, you're not afraid or intimidated at all by Louisiana Tech, right? I mean, you feel like you're their peer. Yeah, so. I think the with FIU, it's, I mean, this is, yeah, this is a common team. 12 and a half points is a weird spread because it's either two, I don't think two touchdowns doesn't seem real, but then it's also kind of harder to win by a touchdown and two field goals than it is to win by two touchdowns. Yeah, strange. And I don't think Louisiana Tech has the offense win by two scores. So I, I'm taking the Panthers in this one. So we'll see. We'll see what we got rolling out. Uh, Jeff, we will be back next week. Uh, next week is our first kickoff. Uh, it is our first kickoff episode previewing oh, yeah. the same. And you know, what we're, you know what we're going to break into? We're breaking into the preview magazine, man. I mean, it really just was to help us have agendas and things it's to talk true. about. The preview all magazine there. Long. We got all of it. We'll be back with more newsletters, back into our less touch and feeling newsletters, more footballing newsletters. The off season is over officially. We can call it closed at the end of this episode. And next week, Jeff, we're going to give them hell. Give them hell, man. <laughs>